On this episode of Resi Week, Lutron expands Ketra, Apple adds lossless audio, and Google Nest has a new pro program. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 277, High Res Enough. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Middle Atlantic, what great systems are built on. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Avi Rosenthal. He's the partner at BlueSav. How are you doing, Avi? I'm doing well, Matt. I hope you're doing the same, and a happy Victoria Day to you, sir. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, it is Victoria Day up here, um, which is a holiday in May. That's what I got for you. And filling in uh, for Heather this week for us is Mr. Bradford Ben. He is the founder of Advisus. How are you, Mr. Ben? I'm doing okay. Uh, thanks to, to Mitchell and for giving me a call at the last minute. I still think we need to get more people on here besides just a whole bunch of Jewish white men to talk about audio. Well, I just because I have Jewish blood doesn't like I'm not I'm not a practicing Jew. It doesn't matter. You're still in the fold. I'm still in the yeah. fold. All right. Yeah. Yes. You can't escape. It's kind of like the mafia. Right. Ooh. Exactly. It's MOT. You know, I, once yeah. you're a member of the tribe, you're a member of the tribe. You're in. I know. Yeah, I, so, I get it. Just I, I've talked to some like hardcore Jewish people who like when they find out that I don't go to temple, they're like, yeah, what are you? I'm like, well, I'm a Christian. And they're like, no, nope, doesn't count. Doesn't count. Get out. <laughs> it all, it, so but on a more serious note, if you want to be on the podcast. Yes, please reach our, out. Go to avnation.tv uh, and go to the contact form and tell them you want to harass Matt because it's fun. It is. Uh, and we're looking for any and all opinions throughout the world. And I can't even say we anymore because, well, we sold it. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. All right, gentlemen, yeah. let's kick this off because uh, my wife is patiently waiting for me to finish today. Um, coming to us from Residential Tech Today, Lutron has expanded their intelligent lighting portfolio with new Ketro, Ketra and Evalo additions. Uh, if you followed along... Uh, with Lutron's acquisition of Ketra and their expansion uh, and, and boost to Ketra, you'll notice that they they were missing a couple of little things in their portfolio, specifically uh, a light bar, uh, which they announced this week. The new Ketra Light Bar Slim, it's a low-voltage custom-length luminaire that's compatible with the Lutron Homework system. Uh, it comes in, again, multiple sizes. It will fit into... Uh, you know, a lot of your niches and your inside interior cabinet lighting and all those access things that you want to use linears for. Uh, they also have some new lamp solutions and a new Ketra ready program. Avi, let me let me start with you on this. This is the first real product expansion, product line expansion that Ketra and, and Lutron specifically have done. Uh, they had their Avalo line for quite a few years before they acquired Ketra. Obviously, they brought in Ketra, had that uh, their, their their fixture bases and their bulbs. How important is it to the you know the Ketra business it, to continue to grow important. that line? Yeah, no, it's very important. I mean, Ketra has really defined itself as a as a lifestyle brand within a brand, if you will. Um, the whole idea of healthy lighting within an environment. 
you know, Ketra sort of wrote the rules on that. And, and a lot of companies and integrators out there use Ketra as their go-to standard for things like circadian lighting and things of that nature. This new lineup really is going to help fill in the gaps where there were places that, that you weren't able to put in circadian lighting. You now have the ability to do so. Um, Lutron's done a great job of, in, of improving upon the software and the methodologies of installation of Ketra over the years. That's really where they needed a lot of help to begin with. And now that they're bringing out new hardware, I, I really think that the brand has a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, very true. Bradford, when you see this, specifically the, the Ketra Ready program, uh, essentially what they're doing is it, it's similar to uh, Lutron's LED tool online, where you can yep. go in and, and you can verify that the fixture or the, the, the lamp you want to use is going to work with these dimmers. And this is what that performance is going to look like. The, the Ketra Ready system is very similar, and it's going to show you which decorative fixtures are going to work with Ketra lamps. Obviously, that's a that's a really big deal. Is it important for Ketra to continue to expand that and get into, I, I don't want to say some more cost effective, but some more easily accessible fixtures? So I think it's a double edged sword there. First, I want to congratulate them for having the configurator. Uh, the amount of smart home items that may or may not be compatible with this item or that item really bothers me says someone who has smart things amazon things uh leviton things phillips things and lutron things because oh and at city things so you know it's a mismatch in my house because everything says works with this not telling you all the little pieces so i really appreciate that i do think the you have to be careful with how far down market you're going uh, because like, for instance, I have the Phillips lights, the Phillips bulbs, and I can do the color temperature and the circadian rhythms, not at the same level, but good enough for that. Uh, so you have to kind of, if you race to the bottom, you're never going to be able to come back up. So if they do the, here's where we are. And if you want a simpler level, you know, take out some of the features that I think is a good plan. But if they take this and keep going down market, I think it's going to be a tough road to sell because that area is already well saturated. You know, you go to various online stores, big box stores, they have the Phillips bulbs, they have this, they have that, you know, and they're all like, yeah, this is what we use. So I think they need to position themselves as a little higher end uh, and more of a complete system than buy the little parts, because I'll be honest, the, the reason my front outdoor is all Phillips is because it works as one big system. It's not because it was my favorite choice. It was because it all worked together. And I think that's where Ketra and Lutron can, can do well. So if I could get a system that the Lutron wall controllers and the Lutron lamp controllers and the lights all work in one app, I'd be much happier. So I think keeping it at that high level and keeping the configurator working is going to be a key to success. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from Macworld.com. Apple Music is getting high-resolution lossless streaming for no extra charge in June. Uh, after a bunch of uh, leaks and rumors and, heck, even a teaser from Apple itself, as a surprise to n literally no one, 
Uh, Apple announced last Monday that music subscribers can get these enhancements in June at no extra charge. Uh, essentially, their entire catalog of more than 75 million uh, songs will be able to stream in lossless audio through their own codec, as well as some high-res uh, selections there uh, for some some other things, depending on, again, what it is. Uh, I'm incredibly happy, Bradford, that you're here, uh, specifically... Yeah. No, just just in general, not just because of this, but it it works out really well that you're here for this one, because they have a they have a huge catalog, and their catalog ranges uh, way way back to some some pretty early stuff. How are they getting even CD quality right at that level based on some of these earlier recordings, um, and then just once you answer that, just just tag on to the end uh, whether this level, because they're topping out right now in their high res at 24-bit 192. Yeah. How does that compare with some of the other options out there? And is it high res enough? So I, and Avi and I talked about this a little before you showed up. There's a certain amount of the old source material is not going to support this. Uh, you look at the Beatles that were recorded on 4-track. Yes, you can resample the masters at a higher bit rate, but you can't add dynamic range that mm. wasn't in the original recording. You can't add frequencies that weren't in the original recording. So some of this is truly a numbers game and a making it seem better than it is. I think Apple and many of the online uh, vendors are playing catch up with each other. Uh, Amazon recently announced earlier this week that they're getting rid of their lower res, which is only 48 kilohertz, and going up to the higher res. And then you look at Tidal, and then you look at all these other streaming things. And anything that was recorded, in my opinion, before like 2000, mm -hmm. you're not going to have enough bit depth to, to manage. Uh, because, so for instance, this is one of those things where everyone says, well, 8-bit's not as good as 16, isn't as good as 24, isn't as good as 32, which is correct. But let's say what not good enough is. Uh, if you record something at 24-bit, it is the equivalent of being of measuring the Earth to the moon at 78 feet increments. Okay. So that's pretty darn accurate. And that comes down to, you know, how much the, the things wobble. So 16, you know, is 20,000 foot increments. Sorry, that so math is still rumbling around my head. I, I can I show you, the, I can show you the work. But yeah, so I think that is, is something to keep in mind is at what point is it abashingly small and just paying for storage and bandwidth that you're not going to hear, especially mm -hmm. if you're doing Bluetooth because Bluetooth doesn't have a high enough bit, right? right? The other thing is, like we said, what is the sample rate? of the original what's the bandwidth of the original all that now i will say i see the math and the reason to go up to 96 kilohertz and this is truly my nerd level showing it has to do with the reconstruction filters and the pass band ripples out of the audible range and that there's less latency going through all of these things and all of that so there is actually a reason and i can also show you audio precision tests of various pieces of both pro and consumer audio running at 48 kilohertz mm -hmm. and 96 kilohertz, and there are subtle differences. 
But once again, you go to Bluetooth, eh. You listen in the car, eh. You listen while mowing the lawn, eh. So, but I do think it's it's a good move, but I think it's starting to get to the, it's a numbers game. Yeah. You know, I have some critical listening. I know Avi has some critical listening. I know you don't, Matt, because you have kids. Uh, so, you know, I can, there are places I can hear this stuff and tell the difference. But I'm still going to put in optical media or download a, a true wave right, file true. and not stream it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of some of those things, because I have the Amazon super high level that's now free. I have the Apple lossless. I have various ones. And I'm like, you're splitting hairs. Now, if record companies and mastering engineers start doing a, here is Apple's lossless codec and what its artifacts are and masters for that. And someone does Spotify and so, which some companies are doing that would mm-hmm. be great. And there are ways to enhance and do some math to bring out more of stuff. But I think it's getting to be a numbers game. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong on that. Is it is it high-res enough? You can tell me I'm wrong, and I'll go argue with you toe-to-toe. No, I, I agree with you. That's the problem. And I'll sit back and watch, so yeah. I'll enjoy it. Get the popcorn, man. It's fun. Is it, Bradford, is it high-res enough? Or or is it is it just the fact, is it just that numbers game? So I think it's just that numbers game, and here's the reason why. Uh, one of the things that bit depth gives you is dynamic range. Mm-hmm. And at some point, there is a feature, or not a feature, there is an effect called the Johnson effect. And people are going to go, oh, that's funny. That is literally the sound of electrons hitting each other inside of resistors. And that comes down to about 120 dB where that starts becoming an issue. So once you cross, like, you know, 16-bit, which is 98 dB dynamic range, you're literally getting to the point where the equipment can't reproduce it. Now, having said that, when you're doing a recording and it's all in the digital domain, and then you're decimating it to put it out, I agree with that. But the can you hear it? It's starting to get to numbers where it's becoming vanishingly small, the differences, and the vast majority of things can't replay it. Or can't hear the difference. Uh, but like I said, 96 kilohertz, there are mathematical reasons. 192, you can go to those same mathematical reasons, but then you look at how much data you're putting through and is it worth that trade-off. Yeah. But I think, yes, you can hear differences. Yes, it's subtle. But at some point, you're literally going to vanishing returns because people are like, vinyl sounds better, it's warmer. I'm like, yeah, vinyl also only has 67 to to 75 db of dynamic range whereas i can get 96 so and then you look at the bandwidth and the frequency range and you start to see the trade-offs so i think it is high res enough and i also unfortunately think that a lot of people don't understand and appreciate the higher resolution at some point because like i know a lot of people that I worked with who are, you know, in their mid twenties and they're like, yeah, I've never owned a CD. Everything's been streaming. I don't own any music. And I'm like, do you know how much music you're missing? Missing. Yeah. So that's just become normal to certain generations. So I'm like, mm-hmm. it is high enough for me to be happy. And I'm the nerd who can do the math and figure all that out and can talk about the encoding schemes and blah, 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 and triangle dither versus square dither and what the rate should be. It's high enough. 
because now you're getting to the point where the output devices can't can't match it mm -hmm. and our overall ecosystem that we have at home or in our theaters can't match it either and here y'all thought we were just going to talk about music avi <laughs> let's let's kind of i don't want to we're not going to change stories yet but i want to change kind of directions for a second what when i when i saw this started to be rumored and then of course announced what it instantly said to me is that my clients are going to start asking us about this Absolutely. not just the ones with listening rooms yeah, not just everyone. the couple uh individuals who want a space where they don't have a tv they literally just want to sit down and and listen, listen. Yeah. this is going to drive that conversation I believe for the foreseeable future, mm -hmm. how are we going to be able to start to consume this? And it, it, am I, am I wrong in that assumption that Apple will drive this conversation going forward? Cause we don't know who's going to support this as far as third parties yet. That's a really good question, Matt. Right? So, so the question in my mind, when I read this was, first of all, I wish we had Alexis park again, right? Because Every company that used to show off in Alexis Park, and for those of you not familiar, that was where all the listening rooms at CES were historically, everybody who displayed there, if they were public companies, I'd start buying their stock, right? Because this is absolutely going to elevate the marketing of high-end audio, and it's going to strike up conversations, and if you're an integrator and you don't understand the nuances that Bradford talked about, and you haven't had a critical listening opportunity, now is the time to get yourself educated mm -hmm. because your clients are absolutely going to ask you about this. And so I would welcome all of you to download or stream off of Apple Music when it becomes available at the different streaming levels and listen to the differences on a high-end system and listen to the differences on a set of Bluetooth headphones and listen to the difference on a, on a pair of studio cans mm -hmm. so that you can then sit with your clients and say, hey, listen for that nuance. You know, if you're listening to Pink Floyd or you're listening to The Clash or you're listening to Lady Gaga, there's a difference between what was recorded and what you're normally hearing on Spotify. And now you have an opportunity to listen to that song and listen to that music in a different way. This is also going to raise the level of things like networking and bandwidth, yeah. because if we're going to stream high-end audio, audio used to be almost a throwaway when it came to bandwidth in a house. Nobody really worried about, you know, Sonos distributed audio. Well, yeah, just tax on, right? It was no big deal. Now it's going to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to have to concern ourselves with QoS and audio streams, whereas before we probably didn't. And then, like you said, who's going to play the content? Does Sonos, you know, upgrade their equipment? Does, you know, do, do the AVRs well, upgrade and, their equipment? And, and keep in mind, just I'm glad you brought up Sonos because they are the obvious choice. They're the ones oh, yeah, that I'm, I'm waiting for uh, mm -hmm. to, to bring an announcement about this. But they already do play Tidal. They already do yeah. play, I believe, Amazon HD. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't foresee other than some changes to their back end yeah, to, to support that. It, it should be very simple. Should be. Well, I, I want to ask a clarifying question. Sorry, Avi. Yes, sir. But when you say they play, what is the reconstruction engine? Right. What is the processing? Because it's kind of like you can have a 24-bit image and put it on a 16-bit screen, and yes, it's compatible, but you're not seeing all the bits. Exactly. So that's kind of where the it 
it's compatible with or it plays is a little and, misleading. And how often does your home network limit what Sonos can play? And so it drops down out of HD into SD, I'll call it, right? Or, or normal audio, lossy audio, mm-hmm. without the listener necessarily knowing what's going on. It's not like there's a big LED light on the Sonos speaker that says, hey, I'm in HD mode. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. And, and I was trying to find it really quickly, and I can't because I don't remember off the top of my head what uh, some of those devices play. I believe um, a couple of them do support 24-bit, but I'm not positive on that. I, I'm, I'm trying to find that, so we'll, we'll look for that. But I do find it, I, I do find that conversation, again, just from a, a, a customer to integrator level. I think this is going to, we thought Tidal was going to do it. Yeah. And... N- Unless you're talking to a quote-unquote audiophile client, they, nobody knows who Title is. No. Even with the power of Jay-Z and all the other uh, artists that are, are connected to that, they don't know what that is. No. But I, I'm, I'm expecting in the next Apple keynote presser <laughs> for a very large yeah, spatial audio thing. Very large spatial audio. And, and it's interesting because when the announcement came out, just to show you how far down it's drilling, my kids who are in their 20s came to me and said, hey – Apple made this big announcement. Is this something like, how, how do we get involved in this, right? How do we hear the difference? And they've lived in my house with a listening room. And so they know, you know, what vinyl sounds like, and they know what a CD sounds like, and they know the differences. But even they were sort of, you know, set off balance and said, hey, we need to get educated about this. What's this all about? And I agree with you, Matt. Apple is going to raise the bar from a perspective of conversation. Everybody's going to be asking about this. And then the first thing's going to be the AirPods don't support it. Right. Yeah. Go and that, that is the thing I think that somewhat gets missed in this. Even yeah. if you plug in a hardwired headset to your Apple device to listen, those devices don't support the output. You need a USB output, right. you know, audio interface at the right levels to be able to do this. Exactly. It's not just a plug in your headphone and off you go. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the more difficult conversation. Just before we we switch to our last story, let me, let me ask either of you, both of you, about this. Is spatial audio, Dolby Atmos audio, which was the other part of that announcement, right. uh, is that is that a big thing? Does that have legs potential to become in, in, interesting? We we've talked Dolby Atmos music for gosh about a year now, I believe, uh, going back to when that was first announced by Dolby. But it's very limited as far as artists uh, and tracks that are recorded in that. Do you expect that to become a thing? Or is this, again, just going to be one of those add-ons that Apple talks about and we see where it goes? My opinion is since you need a specific listening environment to hear it, I'm not sure that people are going to be as, as I think it's more of a marketing term right now and a nice to have than it is necessarily a need to have. I think once people get educated about HD audio in general, they may migrate towards that. But again, because of the limited content and because in order to really take advantage of it, you need a specific listening space. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that people are going to to execute on it right away. Um, but again, it's a great conversation starter. If you're an integrator, I want a listening room. Well, if I'm going to put in a listening room, I'm certainly not going to do a two channel. I'm going to do a listening room that has the capability of Atmos so that when it does become more prevalent, right, I've supported and, and, and made sure that my client is taken care of. 
Bradford, any thoughts? Yeah, so this one's a little bit of a loaded question, content. Uh, so my first thing is I see this as a pathway to Atmos streaming at full quality. I think this is, you know, separating it means that your media streams become two separate streams, one for video, one for audio. So you get that. I think it's a wise move because everyone knows Atmos from Dolby for the movies. I think where it's going to start to take off is not in the standard listening room. It's going to take off in the high-end headphones, the yep. ones that have multiple drivers to give you that spatial existence. It's going to take off in VR environments where it's going to ride on top of ambisonics or spatial positioning as you move your head. So I do think it's a good idea. I also remember quadraphonic. I also have gone to concerts where they've done you know, quadraphonic sound. I worked in the theme park industry, so I've been doing Atmos before it was Atmos. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so I think it's a very good thing, but I think it's either going to be for the million dollar home theater rooms because you need, to, you, typically you can't retrofit ceiling speakers and all that and you need full bandwidth. But I also think it's, you're going to see a big growth in corded headphones that will support this through either math problems of making it sound further Away, which is what VR does a lot of, or actually having multiple drivers mm -hmm. to make it positioned correctly. So I think it's a very cool idea. I think it's actually going to change the way some people listen. But then you also have to go, well, when someone's driving in their car, they're not going to be using Atmos. This is a dedicated listening experience. Yeah, very much so. All right, gentlemen, let's uh, quickly get to our last topic of the day. This comes to us from CEO and Mr. Jason Knott. Google unveils a new Nest Pro Awards program. At their virtual summit, Google stressed their commitment to the professional installation channel with some exclusive product and loyalty uh, programs Avi, uh, first of all, read through, not Avi, read through the story, but you go read through the story, uh, Mr. or Mrs. or listener, whoever you are. Um, read through this, and uh, it, it covers a lot of really cool things. Avi, when you see this, I view this a little bit more as a HVAC story, that this is mm -hmm. primarily driven towards the HVAC industry, although CIs are, are I know more CI companies uh, even locally, that install nests, that I know HVAC companies that want to deal with uh, any sort of smart thermostat. Uh, notwithstanding, when you when you see this, do you feel that integrators invest enough time into these programs that are offered by companies like Google or Amazon? So I think this one's really interesting. You know, I, I, I read this article when it first came out. And I and and when uh, Google had their uh, their show and tell, um, I actually watched it as well. There's some interesting stuff going on, and I think this goes well beyond just a loyalty program to a thermostat. Because yes, I agree with you, Matt. It's geared mostly towards the HVAC guys right now, because Nest obviously is known more as a thermostat company more than anything else. Although mm -hmm. they do have a a full line, and they've partnered with Yale on some door locks and things, and so. I do believe that they've got a, a nice suite of products here. And certainly the integrations, you know, after we got over the whole works with issues, right? The integrations are nice, but what is this really saying? So Google makes a strategic investment in ADT. 
Alarm.com announces the fact that ADT will be migrating off of their platform onto a new quote-unquote platform by 2023. And all of a sudden now Google is really interested in Handy, which is a program to connect uh, homeowners to handymen. Uh, horrible name, by the way, but we won't get into that in a politically correct environment. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and now they have a loyalty program for the HVAC industry. What's going on at Google, right? They are starting to embrace the idea that in order for them to collect the data that is required to know exactly what's going on in the house, they need all of these data collection points, whether it be the security system or the HVAC system or any one of a number of devices that Google is installing in your home in order to collect data about you. I find it very telling that the press release about this, one of the opening lines of the press release is, the PI community is extremely important to us at Google. You represent our brand in the home. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful statement. That's a mouthful. Right? How many integrators do you know of think of themselves as the installation arm of Google when they're speaking to a client? Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big deal. So. I'm watching this very carefully. Look, any opportunity for the integrator to make money off of one of the big five, go for it, right? If they're willing to pay you points and they're willing to have good technology for you to install and reward you for doing so, absolutely. But I'm really interested in seeing where this is all going in the next 18 to 24 months because there's a bigger story here that we're all just sort of being lulled into. Yeah. And I wanna see what happens next. Yeah, it's gonna be very interesting. Bradford, kind of a, a little along those lines, do you find it interesting that they are going so heavily with channel-specific products? Nope. I think it's a good move. Here's the reason why. And this is from my years of being at a manufacturer. Lowers the cost of sales. Point blank. Because think about all of us can think about all of the tech support calls we get that are basic of the, you know, we all joke, have you tried turning it off and on again? But the what's an IP address, internet protocol, what's this, what's that? So by going to certified dealers for these higher end better features, they're lowering their cost of support. Yeah. So I think that makes a whole bunch of sense. Mm -hmm. I understand that some do-it-yourselfers are at the same level as the integrators. I do also think that Google is coming after Amazon and the Amazon home systems. Uh, if you look at Lennar, Lennar has partnered with Amazon to do a smart home where all sorts of stuff's included. I don't see Google doing any of that. So if they start coming in through this way, I see that as an advantage. Now, in terms of the data and diagnostics, the thermostat's not the holy grail. The holy grail is monitoring the switch and monitoring people's phones coming in and out and all of that stuff. To me, that's the, the bigger thing. So I think it's a great move from a, we're not just playing, we're not just Android phones, we're not this. Here's a quality product for the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning industry yeah. that will work appropriately and also lowers their cost of sales and also gives people a reason. And when I say people, I guess integrators a reason to not put in a Honeywell or a train or a carrier system because now they can put in 
Look here, it's Google, it already works. And if you have an Android phone or you have Google Home, here's all the cool stuff. Yeah. So I think it's as much cost of sales and as much a foot in the door as anything else. Uh, because realistically, the the data you're going to get out of that is not the key data. The data that's the key data is, oh, look, you have a Google device on your phone or Google app on your phone, and now we know you're in your house. Yeah, That's already happening if you're not careful. And yes, I'm the guy with the tinfoil hat who is careful, but, you know, it's... So I think it's more of a lower cost of sales and be the foot in the door. I think what's going to start happening is I think this is their test balloon of does this work in the marketplace. And I think there's going to be, dare I say, smarter Google things like, you know, Google Home does a couple things, but it's not quite at the same level as some of the smarter devices. Yeah, and true. I think you're going to start to see that expand and they're going to bring it into their brand as a hardware company. And that's going to be the big thing. You know, I don't, I've tried Google Chromecast. I've tried Amazon's, you know, Fire and Kindle. And I'm like, I still prefer Apple. But I think they're going to start going, how do we make this? As I said earlier when we were talking about Lutron, an entire ecosystem that the customer has just one thing to worry about, doesn't have to put in a gateway product, basically give the stiff arm to if this, then that. And I think that's where they're at. And like I said, they're lowering cost of sales by a whole bunch. And it's not just the support. It's they only have to advertise to the integrators now. They don't have to mm -hmm. advertise to the end users. Yeah, it's a good play. All right, gentlemen, let's wrap it up there. Thank you both so much for joining us. Avi, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Blue Slav, how do they do that? So best way is on our website, www.blueslave, bluesav.com, or you can reach me at avi at bluesav.com. Love to hear from you if you're looking for help in the industry. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Mr. Ben, thank you for uh, fitting in last minute for us. If people want to connect with you, learn more about Advisist, where can they do that? Uh, they can go to advisist.com, A-D-V-I-S-I-S-T. Everyone wants to pronounce it Advisist. No, it's Advisist. Uh, it's also on the Twitters. It's on the LinkedIn. I'm on the Twitters. I'm on the LinkedIn. Uh, if you look for Bradford Ben with two N's, you can probably find me. Uh, I'll still be lampooning both Matt and Tim on the Twitters, so you can always do that. It happens. Uh, wait till I start making fun of the make-beliefs. But, yeah. You know they're not so, my team. You, you know that doesn't matter. I'm just right. no like make fun of them please just it doesn't affect me at all you can make fun of my lowly canadians but well not. you know the whole reason there's a northern division this year it's not because of covid they wanted to make sure the canadian team the canadian got in team would make the playoffs it's the only way to make it happen it. we're downright terrible all right, gentlemen, thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. 